How about this fucking team right here? Dustin Brown, short-handed for LA. Score! Here is Goligoski. He gets leveled at the blue line by Dowdy. Food for it, cheer for uh, Kind of like it. Richard throws it in front. Carter, score! some swagger. Push come to shove, we're going to get it done. This is for you, Kings fans, wherever you may be. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to the Thanks Bud Podcast. I am Chanel Berlin. And I'm Diane Fan. I'm going to be super honest with you right now, just so you're not like, you guys sound like you've talked about this before. We had to re-record this podcast. <laughs> but... It's fine, but we're going to roll with it and try to make it sound fresh. Like, it's the first time we've ever experienced these words and emotions. It's cool. Just roll with it. Um, it's it's kind of hilarious because during one part of the episode, I was like, I don't know if we've talked about this in the podcast before. I can't remember. And so now for this entire recording, I'm going to be like, we have said this, but I'm supposed to say this. So. <laughs> I mean, it watches confuse ourselves a little bit about what we have and have not talked about on the podcast before. Yeah. Uh, but we'll, it's fine. We'll make it through together. So uh, we'll start by talking about the fact that the Kings actually had a pretty good week. They lost their first game of the week against the Phoenix Coyotes, but then they won the next two games against the Washington Capitals and the Florida Panthers. The Florida Panthers, I had... It's been so long since they played them that I almost forgot that the game in October happened, but it did, and the Panthers were shut out in that game, and what do you know, yesterday, shut out again. This is a trend that I am perfectly okay with continuing. Like, mm-hmm. you know, like the, the Kings uh, stomping on the Blues, and then the Kings shutting out the Panthers. I'm okay with that. I would like to see them do that to every team. I think that was actually the best part about it for me, is that... In the past, they've played teams like, oh, the Calgary Flames, and I'm like, well, this team sucks, you should just stomp all over them, like, they don't have any great players anymore, and then the Kings have trouble, like, they've had kind of with the Flames all season, weirdly, um, but not with the Panthers. They just kind of put them in their place and then kept them there, and I liked it, and they should do that with all teams who are not as good as them. Agreed. I guess some some, some milestones were hit um, in the past few days, so we'll talk about those. But first, let's just update on the Kings record. They are 40, 25, and 6, so looking good so far. Kobitar is still points leader. He is up to 58 points with 22 goals and 36 assists. Um, so he will break the 60-point mark, I think, before the end of this regular season, which is awesome. Um, cool milestones hit. So against the Washington Capitals, the uh, Kings reached, or I should say Daryl Sutter, reached his 500th regular season win as a coach. And then um, Jonathan Quick tied Rogi Vashon's record um, when they played the Capitals. And then by shutting out the Panthers, officially became the winningest goaltender in Kings history, which I enjoy so much because obviously I always support Jonathan Quick being the best at whatever he can be the best at. Um, And while we love that he's the best, Jonathan Quick will be the first to tell you that he's not quite there yet because in his Jonathan Quick way was like, oh, well, I've had the luxury of getting shootout wins. And uh, during the era that Rogi Vashon was a goalie, you know, there were ties and and things like that. So he's like, I haven't won quite yet. And it's like, come on, Jonathan. Like, we, we get it. But let's let's just celebrate your greatness for a little bit, and then we'll go back to being humble pie. Thanks. Right? Yeah. Just take a take a minute to bask 
or whatever. It's it's okay. I think the great thing though is that even if he feels like he hasn't caught up, like Jonathan Quick will play another season for the Kings at least, and so he will in his mind, eventually, officially be the winningest goaltender in franchise history, even if he thinks that's just going to come later. And that is really exciting to me that now he will become the guy to beat in, um, you know, Future King's history. Because a lot of people you saw, like, on social media, people who realized, like, wait, the Kings, that's the record is 171? Because yeah. <laughs> the Kings have had some goalie trouble in their history. <laughs> Everyone thought that it was going to be like this huge thing that Jonathan Quick has been amazing and he's had so many wins and that's why he's the most winningest uh, goaltender. But mostly it's because uh, the Kings goaltenders have been terrible and or have only played for a couple of seasons. So while it is impressive, it is not that impressive <laughs> as compared to maybe other people. Yeah. And that's I think that's what is more exciting to me. It's just the idea that hopefully Jonathan Quick is somebody who plays well for the Kings for many years and be like sets a real record for somebody eventually to really aim to beat. I am excited about the concept of in the future somebody chasing Jonathan Quick. And going along with goalies being awesome, with the shutout that Jonathan Quick posted against the Florida Panthers, that means that the Kings have successfully tied, uh, what is it, franchise record for a number of shutouts in a season with 11. Um, five of those would be Jonathan Quick's, three of them Martin Jones, and three of them Ben Scrivens. So... Uh, add that to the pile of milestones that have happened this week. Yeah, it's been a it's been a nice little run for the Kings recently. Um, if everybody remembers, that record was set in 2011-2012. So uh, by Jonathan Quick having that season, 10 shutouts and Jonathan Bernier having one. And so now we've had like a little bit more of a collective effort with all three goalies putting up decent numbers. And I would like to see them break it. That would be nice. I mean, they have a few more games. It could happen. Um, But even if they don't, it's cool that they tied it again. I think it's just more evidence of the fact that this team has been playing well and continues to be a team that is a contender, even with all the ups and downs that they've had, even, you know, this season. They're they're a lot better than they have been historically, which I, I like to remind myself of and do on this podcast in various ways, remind others. Which, I guess in that vein, we might as well talk about individual efforts from guys, because I think we've seen some interesting things over the last few days. The biggest one probably to talk about is Marion Gabrick and like how he's settling in with the Kings after the trade deadline. He has picked up points. We talked about his firsts last week against the Toronto Maple Leafs, but he's gotten a couple more, totaling now four points in within that five-game homestand that the Kings just wrapped up. He's been on the power play. He's settling in with Kopitar. I continue to really have fun watching him get to know this system and figure out how he fits on this team, and I think him racking up points. like he, Matt Fratton had what, like, was it six points when he left? And Yeah, he had, like, Gabrick two, now two, four. two goals and four assists or something like that. And in how many games, like, six games now, Marion Gabrick <laughs> is very close to surpassing um, Matt Fratton's uh, record. Right, yeah. So, so good trade. Working out a little better. A little better. Even his his actual goal, he had a power play goal, even, just to sort of add to the fact that you know, he's been working for the Kings on the power play. And it was a nice, like, low slot shot in the in the Coyotes game, which was great. And then in the next game, in the, the game against the Capitals, followed that up with that really fun play that you don't, even Jim Fox mentioned it, that you don't see it as often now with the hybrid icing. But Justin Williams um, had an outlet pass that he got to Gabrick, who they are learning is 
you know, the Kings as well are learning that he's very fast. So he knew that Gabrick could beat the Capitals player to prevent an icing call. And he did. And Gabrick not only was very, very speedy, but heads up enough to pass back to Andre Kopitar, who was trailing him. And Kopitar gets off a shot and beats the goaltender Halak for this awesome opening goal. I loved it. I like how he. I like how he's making things work and giving the Kings a different sort of edge in some areas. And he wasn't even done then in the Caps game because that game went to a shootout, and his Great. was essentially the the game winning shootout goal um, that beat Halak and mm-hmm. won it for the Kings at home. So that's yeah, it's good to see. It's nice to see. Yeah, he got his first win at Staples Center, which I think he he has deserved. He's because he's put up points and they've tried really hard, but you know they lost those three in a row and now he's now he can say that he knows what it feels like to win in that building and that's good i like that good job marion garbert keep it up i also enjoy his like a couple of tweets that he sent out about him sort of discovering los angeles including earthquake uh, earthquake (laughs) (laughs) see then you know if you're a good player and your twitter game is on point then i mean how could we not how could we not ignore you (laughs) Keep it up, Gabbert. <laughs> he is not the only person doing some good work for the Kings recently. Even even with the losses, there were great efforts, I think, from a lot of players. Somebody in particular in this last game, who obviously we have to talk about because it is a miraculous day anytime he scores, is Trevor Lewis. Yay, Trevor Lewis. <laughs> I have to cheer every single time. He had a goal against the Panthers, the first goal of the game, and then followed that up with an assist on the second goal, and suddenly it was like Trevor Lewis Day in the building. Good job. The best part about that, though, which surprised me, is the fact that apparently he has now tied his career high of five goals, which he set in the shortened season. <laughs> so very recent career high of five goals in a season. He has now tied that. So after taking roughly a million years <laughs> to score his first goal, suddenly he's about to be like a super overachiever if he scores anymore. We were so hard on him for not scoring a goal in all of those games. And apparently he's like right on track, you know, for for his best season. So if he scores a couple of more, a couple more, then I mean, hot damn. He might just be the next Dwight King then. Exactly. Except it's like, it's the, the exact opposite. Like Dwight King at the beginning of the season just like shattered his uh, number of his career high goals in a season. And then just Trevor Lewis took a flipping ice age. <laughs> Maybe we could just say, you know, Dwight King handed it off. To Trevor Lewis, they just passing that that you know little bit of streakiness around. It, it's I totally forgot that that is the kind of scorer that Trevor Lewis is, which I, by which I mean like just doesn't score a lot of goals in his career. I don't know if he scores some more, I might have to make something else just to celebrate him really just putting up his best performance of his NHL career all of a sudden. It's just gonna be me in a like a Trevor Lewis player T-shirt just singing, lip syncing <laughs> to I feel twenty two. <laughs> Yeah, we'll put together a song and dance for it this time. Just kidding, that's never going to happen. <laughs> wow, Trevor Lewis, really, really cool for him. Oh, I just wanted to bring up every time we talk about Trevor Lewis, and especially since the Kings are playing the Flyers tomorrow, um, he's now living up to his potential because back during his draft year, the Philadelphia Flyers were hoping to get their orange little hands on Trevor Lewis, but instead missed out because the Kings uh, swiped him up and their consolation prize was Claude Giroux. So (laughs) I'm glad that Trevor Lewis is doing things uh, so that I don't feel so bad about this. 
about consolation prize Claude Giroux. Um, anyway, moving on, or I should say kind of moving on, but also back to Trevor Lewis. The person that he set up on that second goal, because we can't ignore this, was Mike Richards. Wow. So suddenly this fourth line is all of a sudden doing great work <laughs> for the Kings against the Panthers. Yeah, it was ridiculous for that, because because like Kyle Clifford, Mike Richards, and Trevor Lewis were the ones that were making things happen in that first period. And it was like being in an alternate universe. <laughs> I, being myself, I didn't post it on Twitter, but, you know, joked to, to some folks because people were talking about Mike Richards and him being dropped to the fourth line. And then suddenly he scores and people are like, what was that you were saying about Mike Richards? And let's not get carried away. He's a second line center playing on the fourth line who all of a sudden is scoring goals against the 28th team in the league. I don't, before you get the hype up too much, let's just be honest about that. Um, but at the same time, it was really great goal. I think a uh, very dirty goal in a way that I appreciate the kind of stuff that Mike Richards, sometimes it hasn't worked out for him, including in that Edmonton game where all of a sudden people wanted to fight him because he was like, you know, hitting Ben Scrubbs in the chest. But where he tries to get in tight and just sort of keep a play alive. And this time it worked out for him in a way that benefited the Kings and to nothing early in the first period. Yeah, so I'm glad that that that, that worked out. Um, because, I mean, in the grand scheme of things, I don't really think that first, second, third, fourth line business really matters to anyone on the Kings. Like, I, I mean... S- a big deal is made in other franchises about like, oh, this person just got demoted to the third line. But, you know, that doesn't really hold a lot of, um, I guess, negative clout, I think. Like, ev- everyone understands that they're just trying to get... I think it's because the Kings just have offensive problems, so that when things like that are kind of messed about, like when Dustin Brown is playing on the fourth line or what have you, it's kind of just like, well... They're just trying to spark things up, and it's not really a big deal. But then everyone eventually kind of goes back to where they should be playing. Yeah, I think it's a little more of a big deal for spectators. But I think for that system, like, because of the fact that someone like Dustin Brown, who is the captain or whatever, especially this season, like, they've moved around a lot when guys are underperforming or whatever. It seems like within that locker room, they don't seem to have a problem with that kind of thing. And I think Richard's effort in this game is sort of evidence of it. Like, he took the opportunity to make stuff happen on this fourth line. And even on that Trevor Lewis goal, he wasn't on the ice when it happened, but he helped get that puck into the zone and whatnot and helped create the, the opportunity for Trevor Lewis to score. So I like I like seeing him do work and the rest of them as well. And if that's what it takes, if a dude has to technically be on the fourth line to do it, all right, just keep that going. You know, later he was moved up to play with Toffoli and Pearson so that Carter could go back to playing on the wing. And Toffoli and Pearson didn't get any points, but they played really well still. And that's what I want to see. And to, I guess, take a little bit more time, it was great because of the fact that people were talking about it. And as much as I hate to give Dennis Bernstein from the fourth period any legitimacy when it comes to like him talking about chatter around the around the league or whatever, or especially around the Kings. He sent out that tweet that was kind of like, oh, Richards moves to the fourth line, sort of adding some support to the idea that he could be traded or bought out if he doesn't perform in this postseason or anything, something like that. Mike Richards is a fine player. Like, this is not his, like, obviously he's having a very down career year for him, but he's still a great second line center, center, and he has been for the most part in the grand scheme of things for the Kings since he came to the team 
I think he's going to be fine next season. He could still be fine in the postseason if he figures out how to build off of the success that he's had the last few games in general. Yeah. I don't think they're buying him out. I don't. <laughs> in the summertime. After one, it wasn't even terrible, just kind of like vaguely disappointing season. I don't think that they're going to, the Kings are going to give up on Mike Richards because Mike Richards is obviously a good player. And also, why would they try to break Jeff Carter's heart? <laughs> yeah. It'll just create a ripple effect. Suddenly, your best scorer, your best goal scorer is too sad to do his job or something. I don't know. I mean, we all saw what happened in Columbus. Don't do that to that man. (laughs) Don't (laughs) Don't do do it. it Don't do it. It's a delicate balance. Yeah. I think Mike Richards will be fine, and I would like to see him keep producing so that those rumors don't continue in any way, but I think it's ridiculous that they're happening at all. So so then, to go back to, I talked about how he got moved up with Toffoli and Pearson later in that Panthers game. In general, Tyler Toffoli and Tanner Pearson have been so great the last like stretch of games i love it so much (laughs) they have been amazing tanner pearson i am just so delighted by how speedy he is making the kings a speedier team him and gabrick and i mean obviously jeff carter and just being able to like open up the ice a little bit more for everyone it's beautiful and his goal that he scored against the coyotes was fantastic. Lovely. Lovely. Loved it. And it was another one that was, like, generated, um, or, you know, what helped him finish it was the speed that he got going on that goal. I think it's great. And it's it's interesting because, and I touched on this a little bit, but he, you know, in the AHL, there was all of this great news about how he was progressing and whatnot, and then he first came up to the NHL, and he seemed to have a little trouble finding a way to to get that pace going while also still playing the defensive games, the defensive way that the Kings play. He seems to have brought up that side of it, and especially lately, him and Toffoli on the same line together really figure out how to get into the offensive zone and, you know, create chances. Toffoli had an amazing shift in the, I think it was a Capitals game. It looked like it was going to go out, but then he kept it in and kind of, you know, digged around a guy, and he didn't end up taking on the sh- taking the shot on goal, but he kept it in play by himself for, like, a, a little while and allowed somebody else to get a shot on goal, and Pearson, like, you know, tied up two Panthers players, and they crashed into each other and fell down <laughs> yesterday. That was it, an amazing They were great. Yeah. Especially since uh, Tanner Pearson, one of the big things was that he wasn't doing so hot defensively, and on a defensive team like the Kings, obviously, you need to be solid in that respect. And so to see that he's, like, improved so much, and in that is getting more ice time, and in that is, you know, kind of finding his his legs with the team, and then hopefully that'll generate more goals. It's just very exciting to see. Uh, his talent come to fruition from, like, you know, from being drafted until now. So keep it up, boys. Uh, I think it's also really good, obviously, because heading into the playoffs, that's the thing that all teams are talking about, is how complete every team is. And the Kings did go through that, like, portion of time where nobody was really scoring unless your name was Kopitar or Carter. So it's good to see a lot of depth scoring from other players. Like, we also can't leave out, obviously, Alec Martinez, yes. who has been... I love Alec Martinez. He is phenomenal. There was a shift during a game where uh, he kept the... I think it was a power play goal, it must have been. Uh, he kept the puck in because, like, the... They, the team was trying to clear it, and he kept it in, and then, you know, ran around some people, and then decided to just score a goal. Cool. Let's do that. 
and it was beautiful. He is on fire right now, and I love it. Just some good, good moments for him, some highlight type of moments. Um, oh, we didn't talk about Quick's, like, crazy highlight save. That was great. Oh, yeah. In the Panthers game. Yes, that was amazing. Um, in stark comparison to the... Coyotes game where we all thought that he had made this great standing ovation type save and oh no that was actually just just a goal (laughs) Um, so um, in contrast to that uh, during the Panthers game Jonathan Quick made a beautiful save where he just shot his hand out and just went straight splitting across the crease um, to to make a save and it was actually kind of painful to look at um, because it made McCrosh hurt but it was amazing. <laughs> it was great. The cool thing about that is on the the LA feed, when they first showed it, it was from the reverse angle. So even like Bob Miller, and he was talking about it from, so I guess from his perspective too, like you couldn't fully tell at first if he had gotten it or what, and especially because he like held on to it for a second and then just like casually pushed it away. And it was like, oh, he made the same. And that's also the thing that I love the most about when Quick makes the big sort of highlight reel type of saves is when even Jim Fox is like, oh, oh, on camp or like on the broadcast because <laughs> he can't contain it. That's the best. Um, Jim Fox is a fan just like everyone else and he's not afraid to show it. And yeah, that's my favorite. I love listening to Jim Fox's reaction to <laughs> like great shots or great saves or great plays or like a, like him commentating uh, Dwight King's Dipsy Doodle or whatever was phenomenal. And I laugh every single time because of it, because that's just genuine joy and delight uh, over great things that the Kings are doing. And he just... Uh, properly expresses what I feel like all of us are feeling. What we feel when we're watching those those moments as well. But yeah, like that, that was a great save. And I think even there was that shot during the video review so they, where they were probably replaying it in the arena as well and they caught Jonathan Quick smiling at himself. <laughs> I think, when, you know, when that happens, <laughs> you know it's a good moment. Everybody felt good about it. Even Jonathan Quick who smiles about nothing <laughs> during games. <laughs> That was such, like, a fifth-grade grin, too. That was just, like, all teeth. <laughs> yeah, it was pretty quality. Uh, yeah, that whole thing was was really great. So a nice a nice game for the Kings overall. Again, like, you know, people like to make jokes about the fact that they're the 28th team in the league. But I will take it because there have been enough games that they have, should have won that they've played this season where they have completely messed it up. So I will take it when they actually look like the dominating team that they should look like <laughs> against teams that are lesser. Good job. I like the way that this is trending. Oh, and that was what I was going to, about to talk about before was the fact that it's encouraging that it's coming from such a variety of guys still coming back from the Olympic break because Hockey Night, the CBC Hockey Night site, they put up lots of infographics, but they recently put up one showing which teams rely on their top three scores the most by percentage. And the Kings were not the most. The Kings at the time of this, which was just a few days ago, were 37%. 37% of their goal scoring thus far in the season has come from their top three scorers, who, if you do not know who they are, are Kopitar, Carter, and Justin Williams have scored the most goals. And so it's good that they're not just relying on those people. For comparison, even those numbers aren't terrible. A, a lot of the numbers sort of average in the 30% range. Like the Chicago Blackhawks, 36% of their goal scoring comes from their top three goal scorers. So 
not a bad place to be in, but it's also really encouraging to see some more depth from the Kings uh, because you want all of you want everybody contributing during the playoffs if you're going to make a deep run. So it's looking good. <laughs> what I thought was funny about that infographic, I don't even know if I'm include this on this recording, but just so you know, what's yeah. funny about that graphic is that the Panthers are the of, of all the teams are the ones that use like their top goal scorers are not the bulk necessarily or they rely on them the least but my thought was it's because it's the panthers do they have clear top goal scorers it's like every everyone has like two goals (laughs) right yeah actually can you really count them but uh it was it was funny because um for whatever reason i was looking at uh goal differential and um oh not goal differential goals for and how teams ranked um in that and then there's their uh, position in in the league and like the difference between them because you would assume that the more goals you score the better position you'll be in and i was like that's certainly not the the case for the kings and so how it is for the kings at least uh when i did this a couple a couple of days ago um was that at the time the kings were 10th in the league and but they ranked 26th in goals for and that's like a 16 spot difference as to like where you should be and like the only other one that was the the few other ones that were like notable were uh minnesota who is who was 11 and had scored a few more goals than the kings so that was kind of another big jump but like everyone else is like you know four spots ish one spot you know some have like seven spots and it makes sense you know whatever but uh, that was just a, a pretty drastic one. But the funniest part is that uh, Buffalo is consistent in that they're last in both. <laughs> they're just they're bad just, yeah, across the they're board. They're bad, the, <laughs> bad on the scoreboard and then bad on um, the goals for. So that was fun. I, it's funny because it, like, people do talk about the fact that the King, like it doesn't make any sense how they just can't score goals sometimes. I feel like as a King's fan and also somebody who now writes about them and talks about them a whole lot, like... I feel like you sort of get used to it, but then you do have those moments where you're like, let's just really look at everybody else and compare it. And you're like, this, how, how does, how is this happening? And yet they still are pretty good in the standings and whatnot. So uh, at least if they go through those troubles, they continue to be a really great defensive team because clearly sometimes they need it. Yeah, for sure. Oh yeah, that is basically uh, keeping them together. But hopefully that won't be the case for the playoffs. Like we all know infamously they got cold during last playoffs and still made it to the, again, to the conference finals, the Western Conference finals. So hopefully every all the players keep scoring this time. We don't have any drastic droughts from anybody and maybe they could make it farther or at least, you know, put up more of a fight because once they got to the conference final, everybody was beat up and also they still weren't scoring a crazy amount of goals. And then they faced a team that was just like real hot. So maybe maybe this will be better i don't know it seems positive so let's let's keep it heading in the right direction yes Kings. let's do that Big hit and down i'm not sure he's okay uh, there's no question that this one's a penalty a large five minute major penalty power play for the king all right so moving on to the five minute uh majors and kind of in in line with stuff that we talked about last week where we talked about kind of mental health um, in the NHL. And uh, last week when Rich Peverly collapsed, Alex Chason had to take kind of a, a mental health break because he was having a panic attack, and we really appreciated that. And then the whole uh, deal with Terry Trafford and his and his passing and how there wasn't a lot of support 
in the OHL. Um, in response to that, Greg Such, who was in the OHL for a handful of seasons, wrote uh, an extremely well-written and excellent article about support and, you know, being in, in juniors and how, you know, for the most part, you're just a pawn in the hockey business world and that for the most part, they don't necessarily take that great care of of you as a person, especially since you're supposed to be like everyone is trying to get to the NHL and that kind of like defines them like, hey, who are you? I'm a hockey player and that's kind of it. And that that was a problem. No one was well-rounded. Everyone just had hockey on the mind uh, all the time and how that can really affect you as a person and and, uh, and that you needed to to kind of branch away from that. But it was it was an excellent article. I recommend that everyone read it because it's very... It's a, it's a good inside look as to kind of the, the psychology behind all of it. With that, like, experience that he does talk about specific, like, he, he names some names. Like, he says, I was in a Los Angeles room with NHLers John Tavares, Cam Fowler, and Adam Larson. In a seminar conducted by a former actor and leadership consultant, we were asked to write down five things we valued. Uh, what even, even that phrasing I thought was very interesting, that it was not even just like some other things you like, but things that you consider valuable because the setup there is that you assume that hockey is in fact the most important, pers- the most important thing to these people. Um, so what else even comes close, if anything? And I think it's sort of telling, or it was for such he says like it was you know it's pretty telling that you don't have an answer that nothing comes close at all and he talked a little bit more or like his focus i should say was a little bit more on the ohl level but um i think it's interesting that he doesn't talk at all about really any sort of follow-up even from you know nhl people or whatever like i wonder if what what that is like you know a lot of places you start a job here in the u.s and you're supposed to have like an hr department where you can reach out for people if you have those kind of problems like do what is that like people in the NHL does that exist at all do athletes get any of that like I wonder I mean I assume that there's some sort of like a support sports psychologist type of deal but it's also the the boon of the hockey player that you can't be you can't be soft you can't be you know it's it's hard to ask for help that's one of the things that we really championed in last week's episode that uh Chase on was able to be like hey you know what I I can't deal with this this is it took a lot of courage for him to say that more so than, you know, struggling through the pain of it. And I wonder how much it's hidden, like how much hockey players hide just because that's what they're supposed to do. Because that, because that's their persona as a hockey player. Yeah, definitely a good read. I, if you haven't read it, we'll link it into in the post for this podcast. Fascinating, good to have sort of that first person. I've gone through it perspective on a totally different note totally frivolous but amazing note even though it's related a little bit to um injury i guess so patrick kane with chicago blackhawks gets injured in a game against the blues it's been said that he will be out for about three weeks so he should be back in time for the playoffs to start it's a knee injury it doesn't sound like anything that will be especially difficult for him to recover from but it's not like they've given a whole lot of specific details about it either anyway one of my favorite slash <laughs> things that thing I, I hate completely uh, is that the Chicago media writes about like Patrick Kane and Jonathan Taves and you know they're they're stars there in this way that's so ridiculous and purple like prosy sometimes if you let it so Rick Tellender for the Chicago Sun Times wrote this piece titled Hopefully Patrick Kane will be back soon but you can never be sure and you might think 
that doesn't sound like it's going to be too bad. What's it going to talk about? Probably injury history and some stuff like that. No. <laughs> it talks about kind of those things. But more than anything, it's just like this novella that he started writing, basically. I will read you an excerpt. <clears throat> Quote, I'm not saying Kaner will play in only 10 games in the next 913 days as Derek Rose will have done for the Bulls by the start of next season. But I am saying the apparent left knee injury Kane suffered in the second period of the Blackhawks 4-0 victory Wednesday over the Blues is not at all what you want to see for the NHL's tiniest, most brilliant dancer. Really? <laughs> that's how you want to end that sentence? That's, that's the, the back brilliant. cover of a YA novel, for sure. <laughs> yeah. Um, but it's not all, and it's not even my favorite part, because he goes on to say, you don't want to see Tinkerbell's gossamer wing pinched. You don't want to see Kane's prancing feet shackled, even for a moment. <laughs> and then my favorite part is later on, he goes, or, you know, he breaks up the fact that, like, obviously he scored the Stanley Cup winning goal the first time, uh, that the Chicago Blackhawks won it in 2010, or in his career, I should say, the first time they won it, and then the second time when he was their Conn Smythe winner. So he goes, he talks about all that, and he, then he says, you know, yes, the team is deep. And then he gives some stats about the other guys and says, this is the, the money sentence, but you don't win the bug show without your butterfly. And that's that. That's Period. that? That's what? What's what? <laughs> that makes no sense. <laughs> this metaphor is out of it's control. <laughs> it's so many metaphors. He's a butterfly. He's Tinkerbell. He's a tiny dancer. Oh my gosh. That, okay, apparently, like, that's just a thing for um, regional papers, I guess, because as much as, like, we want to make fun of this, like, I can't help but think of my favorite article in the entire world, which is an article um, about... It's along the same vein because the title is called Carter's Metamorphosis, um, <laughs> and it's an article in the Winnipeg Free Press. And while he is not compared to any sort of uh, bug or butterfly or anything like that, no, 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 he is compared to luggage. Jeff Jeff Carter is luggage, and let me just read you my own my own favorite excerpts. One man's beat up Samsonite is another's Louis Vuitton. Meet Jeff Carter and his Stanley Cup pedigreed baggage. I literally can't read that without laughing. Um, some luggage has style and value and stays in the family for years. Some finds it, its way to the end of the driveway on a drizzly garbage day. And that also rhymes. And um, your, I think yours is definitely uh, better. The at the end line of you don't win a win the bug show without the butterfly, and that's that. But um, the end of this article ends with baggage, certainly, but we all have that. More telling and pertinent is that Carter continues to soar. Maybe he checked his luggage and then just left it behind for others to fuss about. This is gold. I love it. Get these men awards. I love it so much. Sports writing sounds like an amazing career. <laughs> if you could post the, things like The this. Stephanie Meyer of sports is what's happening here. <laughs> yeah, for sure. I am going to play Elton John's Tiny Dancer so many times <laughs> and think of Patrick King. Oh, if you could do um, a video like, um, I can... Who is it? Oh, Tim Thompson, who does the the CBC montage videos, which are amazing. They're beautiful, beautifully done. Um, just do that for Patrick Kane, like all of his like spinoramas and little deeks and whatever, just yes. set to Tiny Dancer, and then with blingy type uh, glitter everywhere because he's Tinkerbell. 
for sure. That has to happen. I might, I might just have to at some point because how can I pass that up? Uh, yeah, so I had to share that with everybody because I've been laughing about it for the last few days. Anyway, on to things a little more legitimate. So another thing I read was a Jonathan Wills piece from a little, from not, it's not like super, like not from like the last couple days, but still recent. Jonathan Wills piece where he talked about one of the things that GMs discussed with regards to what they might want to change in the rules or whatnot was the possibility of adding long changes to overtime because the aim is to increase goal scoring. And also they think if you do that, it will increase the number of games that actually end in OT rather than ending in the shootout. And I thought that was really fascinating. And Willis's article, he not only suggests that they add it to overtime, but just make long changes a thing for the entire game. For anybody who might not know what long changes are, in the second period, you know, when the team switch the goalie switch sides, that means that the benches are now farther away from the defensive end. So the teams, it makes it a little harder to make changes on the fly and whatnot. And uh, in the last, especially, particularly this season, I know I've seen, I think it was Dave Lozo who posted something showing that the most goals have been scored in the second period. And they think part of that is the long changes. And so it's something that they can tweak and see if that does have any effect to increase goal scoring in the league, because that's a big, big thing that they're trying to do. Remember, that's why they changed the nets and the goalie pad sizes and whatnot. I love that idea. I think they should do it. Yeah, absolutely. I'm all for um, increased goal scoring, and especially when it's not um, as a huge a huge change to the game. You know, there's not... Mm-hmm. Um, One, it's not costly. (laughs) It costs basically nothing. And it's not going to affect gameplay, like, the way that they play it on the ice that much. Like, obviously, yes, it will because of the long changes, but, you know, you don't have to change out the nets. You don't have to, you know, worry about all of that. So, I don't know. I think it's a good and very easy thing to kind of try out. Yeah, exactly. I think because it's so easy to try out, like, why not do it? So this article talks about they're only considering doing it for overtime at this point. So they should see if that does what it wants to do. And I think I think why not go ahead and just, you know, do that for the entirety of the game? I think it would be fine. Clearly, you know, this is a problem. It's something that they haven't been able to solve. I don't think the smaller nets haven't really worked or anything, or the shallower nets, I should say. There was... You know, they, the NHL.com uh, posts the Super 16 power rankings or whatever. In the most recent one, when they were talking about teams, while they were talking about the Sharks, they mentioned that this year, games in which a team has had 50 or more shots on goal, that's happened 22 times, which is the like number of times it happened in the 2011, 2012, and 2010, 2011 seasons combined. Plenty of... Uh, offensive events in games or whatever there should be more goal scoring there just hasn't been and that is probably a testament to sort of the defensive styles and they also suggest that maybe it's because so many people are playing a more possession um, oriented game that you have more of you have more chances and whatnot but also uh save percentages have gone up in the last few years so goalies are better now and all of those things happening at the same time i guess seems or it seems to anyway be equaling this thing where no matter what they do they're just not getting the offensive production that they would like to see so i think this is another way to attack that problem that doesn't dig into what what hockey is to people too much 
Not that you could tell that there was a goal-scoring problem around the NHL from the Oilers-Flames game that happened. That was bad. The Oilers lost 8-1, to so plenty of goals there. That Yeah, that was terrible. Um, everyone was kind of, you couldn't really blame Scrivens or Fast too much because defense, what Oilers defense, is the name of the game and has been for the past while for the Oilers. Um, and they haven't really done much to fix it, but in what is becoming an ongoing horrible trend is that someone once again threw their Oilers jersey down onto the ice, but this time they weren't going to just leave it there because Ben Scrivens took great offense to it and skated over, put it on the edge of his stick, and threw it right back into the crowd um, with (laughs) kind of a motion that said, hey, buddy, go fuck yourself. (laughs) Guy, don't do this. Rejected. (laughs) And yeah, it's uh, especially funny is kind of watching the referees, uh, because it's during a, a stoppage of play, and then watching the referees kind of just stare at him as he does it in the background of, like, the gif that you've seen, like, a million times. And apparently he goes at it with a fan for a little bit. And not really, like, at it, but kind of just, like, you know, gestures at them um, in a video, just being like, hey, you know, don't don't do that. He's not going to take it. Don't mess with Ben Scrimmons, okay? It makes me think of that video from the first time, like, after the Jersey incident happened the first time, the person who made that video to the Say Something song. I think about that video every (laughs) single time I hear it on the radio, and I don't hear it a lot, but every time I hear it, all I think about are just, like, terrible Oilers plays. It is (laughs) beautiful. Well, now they have an answer, is what I think about. It's like, Ben Skirman is like, all right, I will stand up for this team if nobody else will. So he does not want you to give up on the Oilers. He has not given up on them. He said, you know, that logo means a lot to the team and to him. So keep your jerseys. Don't be ridiculous. Yeah, jer- <laughs> jerseys are expensive, people. Like, I don't know yeah, that's what, what, I don't... what you're doing, just throwing them out on the ice like that. It looked, <laughs> I mean, it could have been just like a super cheap knockoff jersey that's terrible, but still, that's money that you spent. <laughs> yeah. Another article, uh, another fantastic article that was uh, posted uh, this week was that Laura um, at The Active Stick, who wrote uh, a great article for Hobbs Eye Eye on the Prize, was an article about how to sell hockey to women, which is stop trying to sell hockey to women. And it's a a super fantastic article um, that both of us, I think, can relate to. And um, of note, I think that what started this whole article was the Sabres were doing a girls' night out hockey promotion. And while it was, there were tickets to the game, it was also like, hey, you can also get um, a tanning discount and like a, like salon discounts and, and things like that. And there was like a pre-party and there was a red carpet thing and very little focusing on the game and just everything focusing on everything else. In general, I feel like uh, a lot of sports, I mean, this is obviously not just the NHL, but just sports in general try to market to women and do it in kind of a gross and also just lazy way. And it distills women down to like the stereotypical version of a woman who is like someone who likes makeup or someone who doesn't care about sports, someone who only cares about boys. Like here you can learn about hockey because all of the cute boys are playing hockey essentially. And it's just uh, very disheartening to see that that's what management thinks will draw people yeah in. i think the best part of that article for me was her suggestion at the end like she did just, she didn't just break it down like why that was 
problematic and annoying for women who are who love watching hockey and whatnot but also she had a suggestion at the end which is like if you're going to do things like a girl's night out or you know and encourage women to come to nights specifically marketed to women then use that money to invest in women's opportunities in hockey. Like, there are only so many opportunities for young girls and adult women to play hockey um, as a career. You watch broadcasts, there's a very small number of women who do broadcasts. There are no women who do, like, national play-by-play. So why don't you use those nights to invest in other women? I think that's much better than being like, buy this bracelet so that we can have more money because you love this player. Yeah, I I think that's a a very easy, very uh, good way to kind of invest in making women more visible um, in in hockey. And I'm all for also, um, I know like Learn About Hockey nights geared towards women um, are kind of, you know, maybe sketchy, but it's true. You know, lots of people, like you could just do it towards fans. But I think the big problem is, is that everyone always thinks that there's a right way to be a hockey fan. This happens in any sort of male particularly male-dominated culture, because, like, you see it a lot in, like, comic book culture or, you know, things like that, um, where they become gatekeepers as to, like, if you can't name the stats of so-and-so person, you're not a fan. If you don't know every single piece of uh, history of this team, then you're not a fan. And that really just detracts from people wanting to get into, into, like, into a sport. I think it ties a little bit into the article that was posted recently about the Ice Girls um, and the culture around that, too, because of the fact that it's like, oh, you do these women's night because you clearly don't think that women are paying attention already. And I think it sort of ties into the idea that, like, oh, we have these Ice Girls because we still think the majority of our audience is straight dudes, which is not necessarily the case. Like, you go to games, there are plenty of women there, and they're not all just there because, like, their boyfriend dragged them or their brother dragged them. I Nobody else in my family family watches hockey. It's just me. And I was introduced to hockey by my female roommate in college. So girls like it too. And I think it's very, very weird to exclude them. And then after purposefully excluding them, say, oh, well, women don't like it. So that's why we have to have these like super cliche nights that, you know, sell them merchandise because that's what women are interested in buying things. Yeah, I love buying uh, pink bedazzled things because that defines me as a person. And that's what I'm looking for (laughs) in my hockey merchandise. And then in also um, in correlation to the article about the ice girls, everyone should also go read the article that was written for the Pink Puck in defense of Ice Girls. It's a it's a very good look as to the flip side of, you know, I've, obviously these women choose to be Ice Girls and different views about how um, they like it because it's, it's, it's essentially fan relations and public relations. And, I mean, it's maybe not... If, I guess it depends on how it's viewed, but this is another way that women are seen and, like, trying to get people interested in hockey or, or things like that. But it, it offers um, an, another side to to the argument, and it's it's a good read, both, both articles. We'll link all of them so you can read them if you have not already. And then I guess just a quick stick chap 
so to speak, to the King's panel, or the King's panel, to the King's organization, because they have that business, uh, the Business of Hockey series, and they recently added a panel dedicated to women in hockey, both on ice opportunities for girls, and then um, a larger, I think, discussion about the other types of opportunities women have had in uh, hockey media and whatnot. So, Good effort there. I would really, really, really love to know what made them add that because it wasn't a part of it originally, but it was just sort of a thing that came later. They're like, oh, also this thing. So I want to know who who really pushed for that and made it happen. It's a, a good effort. I appreciate the inclusivity. Yeah, and actually, if you look at the uh, the front office list, I guess it's on the King site, you'll see that a lot of the people that are the directors, the coordinators, the head people of each of the respective departments are women. Um, so it's it's nice to see, and it would be good to get an insight as to how women kind of work in that male-dominated world. And I really wish I could go to the panel if it wasn't on a random Wednesday. Yeah, that is the only other thing, is, like, the other two are on weekends, and this one is, like, the middle of the week <laughs> at 6 o'clock. Yeah, so. that, that really doesn't work out for me at all. Thanks for trying. Maybe, maybe just... A little, just go a little further with it next time. Someone should, uh, someone should go and just like secretly tape it for me. Thanks. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, yeah. A good first step, though, that it's happening at all. I appreciate it. Um, good job, Kings. I also, I just remembered, just thinking about the Kings organization and them trying to include. Um, women more and also minorities I appreciate that that finally the We Are All Kings campaign like after a few months now the banners also include women and people of color so great job because there are more than just like white fans especially in Los Angeles let's be real so um, good job there as well just we're making progress let's just keep it going let's keep it going yeah good let's end on a good note and good job for everyone uh, try in here. <laughs> solid, solid claps. Yep. Here we go. <laughs> all right. I think that is all that we have for this week. Thank you, everybody, as usual, for listening to us. We really appreciate it. Um, if you do not follow us, we are at ThanksBud on Twitter or individually. I am at Chanel Berlin. And I'm at Diane, aka Diane Van. And we will catch you next week. Take care of yourselves. Be good to each other. Goodbye, friends. Farewell. Yeah.